Hey, morning, Kevin. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. The sun's shining. It's been a good week. Exactly. I've avoided pub gardens so far this week, seeing that we're allowed again. But... <laughs> yeah, you've walked past them but not gone in them. Yes. Probably need a haircut more than a beer, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can have a beer in the garden. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. So this week's topic, I think great, great topic. So I've written down, you know, being a clockmaker, not a time teller. Do you want to just like talk about whose quote is that? Why is it a great topic? So it's from Jim Collins, who if anyone hasn't read the book, Good to Great, I think it was probably one of my all-time favorites. Just really good book and study around what makes the, the great successful companies grow in terms of their traits. And he's now done some further work. I listened to a very good podcast with him and Tim Ferriss, and that's where I came across it. But he describes this as being the time teller is the person that can go to the stars and look up at them and say, okay, it's 34 minutes past nine in the evening. And they just know that instantly by, by looking up at the stars. And from a business perspective, that's great because you know what you're doing and you're very valuable, but that doesn't scale. Yeah. And what you really need to do is to be the clockmaker so that this can run without you. And if you need to know that it's 34 minutes past nine, how do you build that clock as opposed to going to the time teller every time to do it? And yeah. I think the, the analogy definitely um, resonated with me in terms of when you start a business, you do what you need to do to run the business. You wear many different hats. You've got different roles that change all the time. Some of them are your strengths. Some of them you just have to learn because it's part of the job. And at some point you probably become the bottleneck. I certainly have. And I, I see this as being yeah, kind of a key point of how do you grow a real business that isn't reliant on yourself and how do you surround yourself with people that are better at the individual roles and make that work as a machine as opposed to trying to do it all yourself. I mean, I think it's a great topic and I hadn't actually seen that quote until you mentioned it to me and I looked it up and then looked at the article you sent me and they talk about when the American Constitution was formed. You know, when they formed the Constitution, they didn't start with the question who should be president. They started with the question of what kind of society do do we want to build? Right. We want something that lasts beyond ourselves so that when we're all dead, the founding fathers, the constitution lives on. And it's a really, I thought, a really interesting just kind of like perspective on that's how you build something that lasts and grows. Yeah. And that's the thing, like Jim Collins, again, wrote the book Built to Last as well. And that's the thing. And Simon Sinek recently has written The Infinite Game. And I think there's a lot in that where everyone's thinking short term, how do we get to X by the end of the year? But it's not, how do we build something that's amazing and it lasts forever? Exactly. Like to me, that excites me a lot more. How do you put your time into something that this is going to pay off for years, decades, a lifetime? that's a great investment in time. Whereas if it's only going to last six months, a year, a couple of years, then actually, is it worth that effort? Probably not. I mean, I think there's loads of stuff we can dig into here. A couple of things I pulled out of that kind of article you sent me, just a a high level, was, you know, they talk about organized visionaries. When they did a load of research about which companies were successful and why, there's obviously companies that are massively successful that are still based upon these kind of like visionary leaders that are all powerful, but they are the hero king. You know, without them, there's no business. Whereas they were saying that actually most of the companies that succeed and work really, really well 
they have these kind of organized visionaries whereby someone holds the future picture because someone's got to hold where we're going. But behind them is an infrastructure and a set of systems and people and devolution of responsibilities and you know coaching people to become the best they can be. All of that's in place. It's not about, I've got a brilliant idea and I'm an amazing orator because that just creates dependency. And everyone then looks to the king for, you know, their future. Yeah, and you need that balance. Interestingly, I've just done the strengths profile and you've done the same. But on mine, when I've done the visionary integrator test, I'm very highly scored on the visionary side, very lowly on the integrator. But one of my learned strengths is organization. And I've learned I've learned it, even though it's something that if I spend too much time doing that, it's going to drain me. But I've learned to do that because I need to do it. And if I don't do that, my life is chaos. So, I mean, if you've seen my color-coded calendar and everything else where it's like <laughs> mapped out almost like every half an hour in terms of what I'm doing, then I need that in order to run and be productive. So I think there is a balance behind what you're doing. But yeah, ultimately, I think it's how do you build up a team and make it a team effort? and certainly. I talk not from the experience of having cracked this, but more being midway through. I actually see a large part of what I'm trying to do this year is to become more of that clockmaker as opposed to a time teller. And I think there's certain steps that you need to take in order to get to that point. I think when we start businesses, by their nature, we start by being time tellers. Yeah, we start by people looking to us for what's the time because we're the expert. But as we build a business, then we have to become clockmakers. I think the interesting point is, I don't think it's right that everyone needs to be a clockmaker. Some people just want to be a time teller, and that's fine. But don't, if you are in that mindset, don't try and think you're building a business. Understand that you're the time teller, you're the expert. It might only be two or three of you, but you're the experts, and that's fine. You don't have to build something that's like 50 people. Yeah, there's another article I've always liked for a long time, but it's by someone called Paul Graham and it's do things that don't scale. And I think that's exactly it. If you're a visionary and you've got something that's unique and different, do you have to scale that? Not really. You could actually keep it going. So it's not that there's a right or wrong answer to this. That also doesn't mean that you can't be visionary and scale, but it's obviously harder to do that kind of across a whole team and get everyone working together in exactly the same way. But but yeah, I think it's, it is an important step. Certainly if you think of company growth and where do you want to go and setting targets in terms of whether it's revenue, headcount, profit, in order to achieve those types of targets, you need a team around you typically. And yeah, you need to let go. So let's talk about letting go. And I want to talk about how you let go, which I think is the important thing. So just talk through, you don't have to give named examples, but how do you take what is basically, you know, you're a well-known expert in the SEO area. I know you don't believe you're an expert, but many people would say you are the expert. Sure. You've <laughs> conferences, you're well-known, you know, you're one of the people, you've won the SEO personality of the year. So you're a well-known person in SEO. But of course, what our clients want is sustainable results. So we can't just say to people, you're empowered and let go because they fall over. So what have you done that's worked and maybe not worked to try and get yourself in a position of being the clockmaker 
rather than the time teller. One thing I've spent time thinking about is what can I do that no one else can do? When I think of things that way, I start to realize the flip side, which is what can I do that anyone else could do? Ah. Like if they had the right training and skill sets. And then that's made me think, okay, well, finance. I need to understand what's going on with finances of the business. We have a monthly management account meeting right after Coming this. Coming up, exactly. <laughs> but so it's not that I'm not aware. I, I absolutely need to have that awareness. Do I need to be sending out invoices to our clients? Do I need to be monitoring cash flow or chasing for late payments, stuff like that? No, I don't. And that's the sort of thing that I've given up. Actually, cash flow chasing was a I've given up to software. There's a yes. chaser we, we use to automatically do that sort of thing. And it's just, how do you make your role more streamlined and maybe start thinking about what do I do that I don't need to do? And I don't do timesheeting for myself, but I do kind of quite strictly block my calendar out because if stuff isn't in my calendar, generally I don't do it. So One thing I've done is I've looked back historically over my calendar and just looked at what have I done that's been a good use of time? What have I done that actually that wasn't a good use of time? And sometimes it's taking on new biz calls and I've got structure at pre-qualifying. Sometimes it's these are just tasks that are now things that I shouldn't be doing. Anna does a lot of our marketing that I used to do. We've got people in our team that not just do the work, but also some of the client services. So again, it's how do I stay in touch? One thing that I found quite a useful way to look at things, but speaking with Dan Gilbert from Brain Labs, and this was a couple of years back, he said to me, is it fixable? If it's fixable, let it go. Because you can come back in and you can coach people, but you need to let people make their own mistakes. And I think if if you have the mindset that, I'm only going to give this up once someone else is better than I am. It's not going to work because firstly, people might approach it in a different way. It's not necessarily better and not necessarily worse. You just need to let them get on with it. And secondly, is it fixable? It's like you don't want to chuck someone in at a deep end on your biggest client and say, go away and no. make it work. And they drown. But you might want to say, here's a the next client meeting. I'm on holiday. Why don't you go ahead and run that? And I'm here this week. I'll review the presentation deck with you. And we can go for it afterwards and talk about how it went. If I feel like, what's the worst case scenario in that? It's probably not going to be terrible. It's It should be good. Certainly if I've approved what's going into it. And then you kind of, again, maybe earn that trust a little bit, but through showing that things are going well, and then I think it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we'll just get on with it. Tell, tell me what you've done afterwards, as opposed to approve everything before, because approving everything before, I'm still the bottleneck to a certain extent. So I think it's it's a gradual approach. There's a very, there's an old skills transfer model that I was taught years ago. And it's really simple. You start off with, watch me do it. Then you do, I'll do it with you. And then you do, let me watch you do it. Because you model great behavior, then you work with them on creating their version of that great behavior, and then you observe them doing it and give them feedback. Very simple model. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. But it works really well. That does work. And thinking about it, I probably haven't thought about it in that framework, but when I look back at when things have gone to plan, it probably is following that that type of model. 
another thing I heard that I really liked was this was from the CEO of Graze. And he said, if you want to grow by a third next year, you need to figure out how you're going to delegate a third of your role from last year. And I thought that was quite powerful because it's, okay, well, what you did to get here isn't going to get you to the next point. So how do you free up that time in order to focus on the stuff that's going to get you to the next level? And if you can do that, and if you've been doing something for a year, it's nice to think that actually you could delegate some of it because you've you've done it, you've repeated it, and hopefully you could now turn that into more of a process that someone else could do. So I think that's, I think that's a, a really interesting insight about releasing a third of your capacity. I want to talk about something that's probably on everyone's mind that's an agency leader that's listening to this, which is, this all sounds great, Mike and Kevin. There's one big thing, founder-led selling. How do you solve the problem of the time teller, which is the founder-led salesperson, into a clockmaker? We have a sales and marketing machine that just works. How do you solve that riddle? So honestly, at our size and scale, my answer is to embrace it. And going back to what can I do that no one else can do, it's selling the agency vision and passion and purpose of what we're here to do better than anyone else that we could bring into the team. And I think that's the sort of thing that because I have the background of I've done SEO for a long time, but run a business, I feel like having that skill set and experience as well of knowing just how to lead sales through and close them without really having any sales training in my life. I think for me, it's been embrace it. That's where a lot of my value is. And then how do I get people around me to support it? So if we've got a pitch, quite often, to a certain extent, it's not me they want to see. It's the team that they're going to be working with. So I may still lead. This is the angle that we have. And I almost certainly will lead the initial discussions in terms of what do they want to do. You're the conductor. Yeah, but the team would be the ones that put together, here's the insights, here's what we're going to do, even to the point of here's the project plan and the budget options. Whereas, yeah, I'm definitely the conductor seeing that through. I do think that's replaceable as well. I think you can then get to a point where you can say, okay, well, someone else can pre-qualify and have the initial course. And I can just oversee and say, how did we get on in that pitch? And I think that's the evolution. And that's why I say I'm at the midpoint of this probably right now, as opposed to at the end of it. No, I think you are. Yeah, definitely. You're at the midpoint, I would say. So I'm aware there's more that could be done to actually support the team and remove myself from that role. But again, it's these gradual steps. I'm probably less involved in the doing and the client work, but I'm there for our clients if they need anything that's outside of the core team they work with on our side. I support and challenge the team from a QBR perspective as needed. Prefer to support if everything's going well, but prepared to step in and challenge if there's stuff that I think we should be doing better. I think that works. For me, if I'm too involved, I just fry and that's not good for our team. It's not good for our clients. Whereas if I'm not involved at all in any of this, it's too much of a leap of faith and any agency owner would know. And I've heard quite a lot of stories of let's just place an MD into the company and then I'm going to step back. And I mean, maybe some of those stories work, but I've seen, I've heard a lot of horror stories from those situations. And I I think it's the gradual evolution, I think is much more of a sustainable risk-free way of doing this. I think what was interesting was we had a discussion last week about pipeline 
and about, I said to you, you know, if you were not there for three months, would our pipeline dry up of, you know, leads? And you said, no, it wouldn't actually now. Two years ago, it would, because you were doing all of the outbound requests. Whereas now, because we've got a body of content, like we've got the e-commerce reports and the travel reports, and we've got the, the Slack group that you run and the connections that you've made, we actually get quite a lot of inbound, you know, high quality inquiries. Yeah. And so therefore, it's no longer just Kevin out on the road, banging on doors, getting business. It's becoming more self-sustaining. And that was quite an interesting insight. I was like, wow, okay, we've definitely moved things forward. I think also I've stepped back a bit within the industry. I found that I think the lockdown virtual world has, I've been a bit more disengaged with online as opposed to when it's offline conferences. And also we focus much more on our own reputation as an agency. We've got people in our team that are thought leaders within their own rights. And it's how do we build those up? But yeah, it definitely would have been a case in the past where if you look at the leads that we generated, it would have been, yeah, I've known that person for 15 years or I've known that person for eight years. And my my LinkedIn inbox would have been, would have had much more leads in probably volume, definitely quality than our inquiry form on the website. And now I think there's probably still a decent amount that would come to me directly through LinkedIn, but certainly a lot of it is now they've heard of ReSignal, not they know me, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a big shift. And that's taken, I mean, how many years has that taken, Kevin? 15. Yeah. <laughs> if you think of how long I've been running an agency, yeah. because it's all started day one from personal relationships. And I absolutely would still value that very highly as when you look at what's the the one thing I can bring that's very hard to replicate. It probably is that industry knowledge and relationships that I've I've got across the board. So I absolutely want to use that and leverage it. It would be stupid not to, honestly. But at the same time, it's the agency that we're trying to build. Going back to that analogy of this is the clock. It's you come to the agency and it would be nice to be in a position where they come to the agency and they have no idea who I am. And like even kind of having won the pitch at that point, like people will come to the agency right now and have no idea who I am, which is great. But yeah, I think that's where we want to be. It's how do you, in, in the same way of, let's look at Apple as an example. You don't need to have known Steve Jobs in order to buy an iPod. It's it's all about how do you take that vision and apply it and get a team that can test, learn, experiment and make it better. And then it's the products that you're buying. So I think at that point, it's a great time to draw it to a conclusion. So what's your kind of summary? What would you say is the key thing, the key takeaway? I think this has a common theme to what we're talking about across all of the podcast episodes, which is start with the end in mind. And if you know where you want to get to and also have that self-awareness of what are your strengths and weaknesses. So take, this is just called strengthsprofile.com. There's a number of different things like this, but know what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Maybe what are the things you should be doing more of as well? And I think if you have that self-awareness, you can then start to say, okay, what do I need to focus on and what do I need to let go? And when you let go, I think your framework in terms of how to do this is really powerful. So teaching people and yeah, letting them show you that they've got it and they they know what they're doing and it allows you to gradually step back. I, I certainly have found that that approach as opposed to 
I'm not doing this anymore. You go and run with it and do what you like. You need a more gradual process. So I think that's kind of the big learning for me. Yeah. And I concur with that. I think, you know, if you're going to do this, there has to be a structured way of transferring experience, knowledge, skills to more, you know, more junior people. And there has to be a systematic way of saying we're building a business. We're not just like becoming, you know, an individual expert. So no, I think it, it was interesting when I looked at it last night, I'm like, this is a great topic because it's a big challenge that most companies in that kind of one to 5 million turnover space face. I'd love to come back to this in 12 months time and say, what have we done in the last 12 months that has taken that further along the journey? Because I think that would be really interesting to see. Let's do that. We'll definitely come back probably by then episode, wow, probably about 80 or 90. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Kevin. Really great to see you. Look forward to next week's. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Bye.